Hi, I'm Guy Massey. I'm Claude Massey. Welcome to another episode of Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories. Today, a big shout out to all our new listeners to the program. We're excited to offer you a subject on everyone's mind that is the great artists, painters, sculptors, architects, and designers through history, from Jean-Auguste Dominique Eng to Johann Vermeer to Le Corbusier to Auguste Rodin. Claude, it's great to have you on the show. It's always my pleasure, Guy. How did everything go when coming in from Connecticut? Oh, it was a nice... It was a beautiful trip. Great. Uh, any, any interesting happenings along the way? Well, you know, I thought of about a word I never use. When I was looking at the uh, Long Island Sound from my, my... I took a train, by the way, uh, ladies and gentlemen... And uh, I'm looking out the window, and Long Island Sound was so charming. Awesome. So that's mm -hmm. great. That's a great thing to take away from. It's Yeah, I haven't used that word, I don't know when. Charming. It was a charming <laughs> Yes. The world of art has earned a degree in greatness, uh, the likes of which uh, include Ang. Claude, he's your uh, favorite, greatest of all time, your GOAT. Can you explain about Aang? Well, it's about his shelf time. And it's also his mystique. Um, he did have a tremendous impact on art. Two, two different ways you can look at it. Okay. First, first, he was, oh my God, he was hated. Oh, he's hated by the establishment. Wow. He was. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and later on, it, uh, he, he had battles with the, the uh, all of the, uh, you know, especially Delacroix, who, who uh, Eugene Delacroix, who, who was contemporary with him, basically, and uh, totally a different handling of, of his paint. Uh, and, and also a, a person of just as much acumen. Uh, I mean, Delacroix... <laughs> He was a major painter. He came from the school, and came from the school of David. Uh, and if you, the lineage goes right back to Raphael. Okay, Raphael. Raphael, the great Italian painter from the Renaissance. And then Nicolas Poussin, who, who to me, uh, is another one of my He's in my pantheon. Absolutely. I mean, uh, some of your audience right now is probably thinking, but this guy sounds like an old stodgy guy. But no, this is new. This is, uh, uh, there's a revolution going on here at the time. Uh, and, and even today, you, if you look at the works of painters from, say, 17, right around the, uh, the French Revolution, throughout uh, the the 1800s, up in, even up until the 1870s, even beyond. Excuse me. Their ang is square in the middle of all of this battle, and I'm saying these were battles. Were they? Okay. Well, they didn't. They didn't break out any guns or anything. There was no, you know. They, actually, there was some. You know, there was some guys that went out and had duels. Not not painters. Why not? You know, they, they, they had some kind of like 
you know, little thing that was going on, and they, they, they went out in, in the middle of the field, and they had a duel. So you settled things back some back in the day. <laughs> the French were like that. And uh, in Paris, there was the, the rise of the Atelier, which is actually an attic, but Atelier is a studio. And, and the greatest painters of the day, the neoclassical uh, masters, uh, Jacques-Louis David, was probably the, the greatest uh, and the most famous. And he had many, many students, three, four hundred maybe, more. He was like a modern Rubens. Rubens was like that. Rubens, they say Rubens was one of the first millionaires. You know, this, oh, it was Rubens. I knew there was a first millionaire at some point. Yeah, Rubens was one of the first millionaires. And I'm, I'm talking about every, 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 every spectrum. You know, including like, you know, counting houses and uh, sure. financial, uh, you know, a lot of people just weren't really making a whole lot of money. But Rubens was being commissioned by Queens and that. So Rubens is a, and Rubens has this beautiful voluptuous style. I want to use the word voluptuous. We all hear about a Rubenesque, Rubenesque woman, for instance. We won't go into that. The, by, now that's almost, hmm, that's nearly 200 years earlier, 150, 160 years earlier. Whew. Yeah, so the, the, the big Flemish schools were at that time in charge. Um, uh, and France was, 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 was right, you know, on the heels, but they were doing other stuff. You know, Descartes with his philosophy, uh, and then there's this very intellectual man down in Rome who was a Frenchman. And he, 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 bolt, he, he bolted from France at a, at a reasonably young age with a, an, ama a, a, an amazing style. He was a history painter. And I think that between Rubens and Poussin, this is his name, Nicolas Poussin, they were uh, at P-O-U-S-I-N. S-S-I-N. Oh, SS, two S's. Yeah, yeah. Poussin. I always say Poussin with, with a, with a, with a, with a, he had a lot of authority. You know, I use, I might, you know, you might not hear me use that word too much, but in the art world, music and certain sculpture, you know, architecture, artists acquire authority. It usually takes a lot of time and rate. They, they don't get that overnight. They have to, um, well, they have to earn it. They have to earn it, exactly, you know, and they have to get commissions. And they do. Uh, and they got some amazing commissions. So we can go, maybe, maybe we'll just cut it right there from Rubens and Poussin. And they're the ones that really had that new way, and that carried on for 150 years, guy. Ang, Ang, your, your hero, brings you joy, to say the least, as being a larger-than-life example of a giant of portraiture. What makes him, in your mind, the greatest of the painters? And give us a few examples, if you will. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Guy. Uh, I, I really... I, I got this book back in the early 90s. Okay. 
it was on romanticism. At the time, I was really discovering the great symphonies. Uh, Schumann, you know, Beethoven, the usual. I remember that. The usual suspects. Uh, and it was moving on. Tchaikovsky, Mahler, on and on and on. And I, and I was diving into nature. I'd spent hours in the woods and hiking and, oh, it was just an amazing time for me. I, it was my golden age. Um, I can say that. I really hadn't really started painting, but I was getting kind of what you might want to say. I was kind of turning into a surgeon. No. Well, remember I mentioned the, the topographic maps? Uh, yes, you did. Last show. You did. Another part of your life. Mm. Well, I, I feasted on those guys, and I went out and bought chunks of them every week. I had all of Connecticut on on on. I had all of Connecticut on on topo, you know, at in my possession. Okay. Within maybe three months, so that was like I dropped a lot of money, but it was worth it. <laughs> Cold hard cash. And I would take out the barrel Prismacolor pencils. Ah, okay. Remember my barrel Prismacolor pencils? I had them as myself uh, as an yeah. art student. Yeah, yeah, and I had a certain kind of a Rand McNally kind of. Um, uh, color code. And, yeah, anyways. <laughs> you know what I mean by that, okay? I do. And the... Certain palette. It's a certain palette. Yes. And I had a, a exacto knife, and I kept them sharp, and I went through them pretty quick. And they were costing about a dollar a piece. These things, they don't give them away. Of course, I used a lot of green. <laughs> But also a lot of different colors. It, the thing is, is that I had to get these little tiny lines. Uh, uh, top, uh, uh, they, they call them topographic lines, uh, uh, elevation lines, uh, five, five feet, 10 feet, 20 feet. And, and they're close together. And, and that, that was with the, the, that was the first thing I would draw with the cliffs. That, that would set me on my course. And of course I could scrub the valleys. With, with green because they were they didn't have too much ele they didn't have too much elevation. There'd be a drumlin in there, you know. Okay. Which I I also love drumlin. Kind of an orange color for their low elevation. Yeah, yeah. Drum drumlins were like they they made it they made they made a topo map look really nice. Explain to the audience what a topo map is, the full meaning. Well, I think a topographic map might okay. be. Your audience must know what it is. Now, what is that? Oh, uh, it's just some, is it, that it, sort of the satellite, uh, the land view on your phone, maybe, when you go to a land view? Well, if you go to Google Maps, you can get that. Okay. Yep. Or you can seek it on the, uh, on the government pages. And some maps have more detail than other maps, other topo maps. Well, it depends how close you are. Okay. There's five minute, there's 15, there's 25,000, different scales. Suddenly, you are out in space, looking down on Massachusetts, ah, looking down on Massachusetts, looking down on Grand Canyon. Oh, right, right. So it's it's a and speaking of Grand, whenever we went on a on a big trip, uh, I would buy the 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 topos for that region. Ah. So when we were driving around, like Utah and Arizona and places, smart. That's I always smart. I always knew what we were going to see. Almost very very smart. Well, I mean, smart. It's just, you know, 
a good way of traveling. There's a, a fun story to relate about Constable and finishing day. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and so, what? first of all, what? just to explain to help our audience out here, what is finishing day and what, what happened between the two? What transpired between, uh, between uh, Rubens and Constable on that day? Well, what's the definition of finishing day? Mm -hmm. First of all, what is constable? Your audience may be asking. Is who is constable? <laughs> but, but tell the audience what, what a finishing day is. Well, finishing day is the day before the show. Okay. Now the Paris Salon is arguably the. If you're in a Paris Salon, your your your, your um, paintings are going to be seen by other painters. Sure. So it's it's like the Academy Awards, or maybe the Ed Sullivan Show of. Uh, no, no, it's no, it's much more than that. Ah, okay. It's like the Academy Awards. All right, I, correct me. Yeah, it, it's a big deal. All right. And there's thousands of paintings. Okay. There's a whole lot, and they, there's all kinds of sayings, uh, like, "Oh, that's that's hung well." I don't know where that saying comes from. Hey, that's hung well. <laughs> that means that the painting is hung in a nice place to view it. And then they say, gee, they, they really skied that painting, and that means that they put it way up in the ceiling, and you can't really ah, see it. Yeah. Ah, they had those expressions back yeah, then. Yeah, and, and, and the ladies would have to bring their little their little magnifying glasses with them. So finishing day... Finishing day is the last day before the opening. Ah, okay. So the, 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 the artists can come in, okay. and they can do some touch-ups. Actually go on their paintings and... and yeah, they can, they can fuss with them. Maybe, okay. maybe, maybe they saw something that looks good. So, and it's exactly what happened between Constable and Turner. Okay, what we're getting at is yeah. the story. Turner had this beautiful painting. It was a retirement of a tugboat on a Thames River. And he, it's a very gray painting with some blues, uh, bold brush strokes. Uh, 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 you can look at Turner's paintings. You, can, you know he comes from... Uh, and also, by the way, these guys are British. And the British were kind of new. The the, 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 the the humble beginnings of British painting uh, begin with Hogarth. <laughs> and I'm not making fun of Hogarth, but he's not a major master. He's a minor master. Constable is a countryman. Turner is an urbanite. He lives in London. So two men are different. But they, they approach their art in the same kind of way. They, 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 are, they are masters at the very same time. Uh, if, if someone wants to be a colossal, they don't want anybody in the way. And, you know, Constable, I don't think, really cared. But you asked me that question. You said, uh, so what happened? Uh, okay. <laughs> Anyways, Constable put up the hay wane. His, his masterpiece for that year, 1824, 1824, he was, he was in, uh, he went to the Paris Salon and, and, oh my God, and there were so many great painters there. Think about the masters that were still alive. Uh, Ang, Ang was on display. Uh, David, David hadn't died yet. Um, there were so many. So it was a, it was a, a, a glorious time. A golden age, you might want to say. So, Constable came in at right at the right moment. And he had this beautiful painting called the Haywain. 
Ladies and gentlemen, just take a look at it. It, go up on YouTube and just, uh, not YouTube, but go up on Google and go images of a Haywain. <laughs> it's like one of, it, it is his most famous painting, but it's beautiful. It's a, it, it's a simple painting of the countryside around Dedham, England, in the Fen country. Uh, flat country, but lovely country. Uh, uh, an old heritage of farming and raising cattle. And it's all there. It's all there. Little country cottages. Thatch roofs, distant with De the Dedham Church, which has a, 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 an attractive little um, um, gothic gothic spire, and it's 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 got wetness to it. The, it's almost as if it just rained out, and and, and but it's a sunny sky, uh, rich, full of clouds, complex, but not overdone. You, you know the masters. You know that you you know a master. They they don't clutter. They know when to put their brush down. That's done. You know, and, and you can tell when a, 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 a great painter is just another, you know, stick in the mud by overdoing it. Some come close. Goya. Goya came close. And Goya, Goya, I don't know if he was still alive by then, but I think that Goya might have, well, Goya is more like Beethoven. He's a radical. You know, if someone would have passed him a joint back in those days, well, he probably would have bogotted it. <laughs> um, but Constable puts the haywain up. It's got a real nice place. The the hangers gave him a great place. You know, that's another thing, too. Uh, hangers back in those days, they paid good money when you hang paintings. Hmm. Yeah, you you were paid well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I've even been in, in art shows over the years where hanging is still an art. Okay. Sure. And there's Turner. Now, Turner is more like a hippie. He's more like, you know, uh, Mick Jagger. Uh, he, he lives in London, uh, and he, you know, he probably tips a little bit, you know, gets into the absinthe, uh, the things that were going on in London at the time, gin mills, I can imagine him stumbling home but the man was an incredible painter uh, Willard Turner was was probably is probably the greatest painter in in British history and I'm sure that probably a, a, a great amount of British people would agree with that what did constable notice about uh, what comment did he make that would drive uh, well here's what happened okay what happened Turner's painting was the retirement of this, I forgot the name of the tugboat, excuse me, but it's the retirement of a tugboat. It's a big tugboat, and they're bringing it in, and it's kind of like a little bit of a celebration by the people on the shoreline, on the docks. And he records it almost like a picture, like, like, like he's taking a picture. This is about maybe 15 years before the development of the camera. So in, a way, in other words, Turner's doing a journalistic work. Okay. Yeah, journalistic. So, so he, th that's another important thing about Turner is that uh, he he's right in the heart of right now. He's right in the heart of right now. I understand. Yeah. And his painting is kind of gray, with some browns and some ochres and blues. You know, it's it doesn't really it doesn't have too much color. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. All of Turner's paintings. 
they, 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 they make, they make you think too. Oh, they, 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 bat, they, they, he was a dangerous painter, just like Goyer. Yeah, actually, you know, Goyer and Turner, they're sewed at the hip. Oh, yeah. Constable, not so. No. No, no. You, you're seeing flowers, you're seeing beauty in its most elemental forms. At the same time, you're seeing the logic of nature that only Constable could have given at that time. It, it, it would take 60 years sure. before the Impressionists could match that. Okay. Actually, even the pre-Raphaelites came close. Okay. But sometimes they cluttered. See, the pre-Raphaelites, they cluttered. They got too much in there. Weighed the painting down. So what happened was, on finishing day, I guess Turner came in about a couple hours after Constable did, and Constable, you know, did his finishing. I don't know what he did, but he put his painting back, had his painting put back up. And Turner came in a little while later. This is what I read. And <laughs> he put a sun, a bleak kind of sun, into the sky. Turner did. Yes. On his own painting. On his own painting. <clears throat> which totally emancipated that painting from being just gray. Okay. Suddenly there was this beautiful, beautiful orange and it was... It almost emanated the entire painting. Okay. And it was only a little tiny quarter size, well, a little bigger than that, but I mean, compared to the painting. So Constable comes in the next day during the salon, and it's the opening day, and, and all the artists are there with their, their brochures, and they're ready to greet, you know, patrons and people that maybe want to buy, even want to buy their paintings, you know. Uh, and, and of course, the judges are milling about. Nobody knows who they are. They are. Okay. The judges are like you know top secret. You know, you know the French. You know how the French are. <laughs> you don't even know who the judge really is. And um, constable walks in, and he said the first thing he said when he looked because it was right next to his painting. It was right next to it. They put them together. Oh my God! They, 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 you know what? They didn't give the British any breaks. See, it, it was one of the first years the British were even invited to the salon. Oh, is that true? Yeah, it, 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 the British were never invited to the salon because they had lousy painters. Well, some of them were good, but I mean, you know, eh, you know, take them or leave them. Most of them were in, involved in, you know, running a store or something. Napoleon said it best: oh, "England's just a bunch of shopkeepers." They didn't have too much of an art uh, tradition. That kind of changed with Gainsborough and Reynolds and uh, and a few other of the of the late. Sure. Yeah, they, they, I mean Gainsborough, beautiful portrait painting because there was a whole lot of money to spend. But whenever you you found a great British painting, it was made by somebody that wasn't from Britain, uh, like Van Dyke. Oh. You know, Van Dyke was not even British. He was from Bel. He was from Belgium. Oh. He's a student of Rubens. But he made everybody look beautiful. I mean, he, he, he could take a woman of modest means and turn her into a queen. The guy was a major guy. Anyways, constable goes, he shot his load. That's what he said about Turner's painting. He shot his load. And you know what he knew? He knew 
Oh, by the way, a, a nice uh, you know story is that yes, uh, uh, John Constable won 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 the prize. As an aside, <laughs> yeah, he won the grand prize for the entire exhibit. A Brit, what a major achievement! It's a major coup. A major coup in Paris, of all places. It's like someone, like, you know, landing at the Eiffel Tower, you know, and painting it green. <laughs> you know, it's like crazy. Anyways, um, you know, uh, we've, been, we've been going on for a while. Yeah, we, we, That's okay. That's okay, Clark. <laughs> but uh, what other artists are uh, on your short list and why? Well, you know, Guy, romanticism needs to be talked about. Because romanticism is like, okay, you get your classicist. A, a classical artist is far more mon uh, 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 numeral oriented, uh, 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 numbers, measures, and lengths. I, I, have, I have a little bit of both. Classical artist. Yes, they, 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 they see sevens and eights and threes. They, they see the golden section. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah, I do. they 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 know about the pyramid. They follow some strict tenets. Yeah, look look at Jericho's um, raft of the Medusa. It's a giant thing. It's like twenty five feet by thirty or whatever. It's it's all it's three it's three pyramids. If you look at it long enough, you can see the pyramids. Okay. I mean the way he's designed the bodies and the ship, that kind of thing. I see. Tri yeah. Triangles. Triangles. Okay. Yeah, the golden section. So Jericho is following that. He's, of course, neoclassic, and Jericho is also a student of David. I mean, come on. Oh, I, uh, who, who taught you? Oh, Jock. <laughs> wow. <laughs> come on down, have a drink. Anyway, I'm getting off track. So anyways, with the romanticism, it's a little different. Now, they're still following the cardinal rules. The Romantics followed the cardinal rules, but they had different philosophies. They were getting out, and they were climbing mountains, and they were going into the wilderness. Okay. They were freezing to death and on, on the alpine tundra. It's tragic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, that great um, painter from Germany, Casper uh, uh, Friedrich. Oh. Uh, he got stuck on a mountain one time, but he, but he, but he talked about it almost like John Muir. Ah. Yeah, he he was um, he, he was he was he was moved by his his experience of almost dying. Okay. So romantics. So here's the difference: when a, when a classicist comes to a cliff edge, he's very careful, and or she's careful, and they look down, and they wonder how high they are. They make an assessment. Yeah, yeah. Like you say, you might say to me, "Oh, Claude, how how how, how high are we?" Well, above the uh, above the ground down there, I say about five hundred feet. A romantic doesn't do that. A romantic goes and teases the edge, and then he looks or she looks way out on the horizon. They want to see what's not there. They want to look off I see. and a wonder. They want to wonder. That's what they want to do. They want to wander and they want to wonder. The romantic wants to get wet. He wants to get his feet stuck in mud. Maybe he wants to jump off that cliff. 
Could be. Could very well be. You know, the suicide rate, it must have gone up during those days. And plus, there's another thing that's different between the classes. And that is that during the days of the classes, which was a long time, well over a thousand years, they always had contracts. They always had money. They were, they were paid by the bishops, they were paid by the popes, uh, and they were paid by the kings and the queens. So they had contracts with important people. So they had to, like, adhere to what they wanted. Sure. Sure. Uh, think about um, one of the greatest examples that that would be, I would think, uh, Valaque, uh, the Spanish painter. They had commercial interests. Well... I don't want to put the word commercial, but I, I, okay, okay. No, they had, they had, no, they had to, they, 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 well, Rubens, okay, he was almost a free agent, but he wasn't quite. He had a contract with, um, uh, the, the Medici when he did her great cycle, uh, which is like 18 gigantic paintings. I don't know how much money he made with those. It must have been amazing. Wow. Uh, uh, in, in that day, it, it was probably like, you know, he was probably like, you know, um, what's his face? Uh, Jeff, Jeff, the one ahead of Amazon. Bezos. Bezos. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, there was a, the, these guys were, were making money. I think by the time the Romantics were in full swing, and this is after Beethoven. Beethoven was the first. Wadsworth, the writer, the poet. Yes. Um, who's that great? Uh, engraver there. Uh, no, no, Jura's earlier. Um, no, no. Um, Not Rembrandt. But, uh, well, anyways, I, I, I'll think of him when I'm talking to you later on. <laughs> and of course, Goya. And Goya. Goya's a romantic romantic. You know, he's the first. And he's like, he's like Bob Dylan. So you had this period where it's youthful, exciting. You know, there's, there's, there's no boundaries. These guys are just like, it's, it's not abstract painting. And I, you know, cause that wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have gone over. Cause like that wasn't even thought about. There wasn't any abstract. There was nothing abstract about life back then. There were wars and battles. You know, there was like corruption, just like now. So. What happened with the Romantics is they, first they got involved with poetry and writing. Okay. And then it was music. Okay. And painting came last. So that was a, that was a progression. Yes. Painting, painting was the last frontier for, for Romantics. It was all leading up to it, it seems. Aang, oh. Aang was a holdout. Uh, that's why they hated him. The Romantics didn't like Aang because he was like a neoclassist. Sure. Yes, with his portraiture. Well, no, even before his portraiture. Oh. Well, his portraiture was kind of like loved. People were jealous of it. Oh, no, no, no. It was this history painting and this really strange kind of stuff of making these octopus hands and extended uh, spinal cords. and uh, Boy, the guy was ahead of his time. Sure he was. And nobody... Well, of course, they didn't know that at the time, mainly because they just didn't understand him. He was a pariah in his own way, but he wasn't like Goya. He didn't show it like that. He was a sophisticated, well, not a sophisticated, he was a, 
I'm, I'm talking art now. He was a sophisticated lover of the past. Yes. He loved Raphael, first of all. Okay. Raphael was his father, if that could be possible. And then Poussin. Poussin. Those two masters I talked about earlier. And then he comes under the, under the atelier of Jacques-Louis David. It's probably one of the only times in history where the student is greater than, than the teacher. Because David is a great painter and famous, of course, but not like Ang. Ang ran for a long time, too. He had a long shelf life. He was born in 1780 and died in 1867, so he lived to be nearly 87 years old. And he was painting by the time he was like 15, 16. So he saw a, a whole panoply of, of painting history. Uh, Passed right before him. I mean, he saw styles come and go. And, and you know what he didn't do? He didn't change. He is this Chinaman. Have you ever seen pagodas? Sure. Okay, a pagoda. If you see a pagoda that was built in 600 AD, and you see one that's built in 1600, there's no change in style. You can't say that about the Western world. The Western world is all about style. Sure. Look at what we talk about the cars. Right. Look what happened in 20 years. Anyways, so one of the, one of the most interesting things about Aang is that he was this oddity. Uh, and it makes him lovable. It makes him lovable. He loved women. He, 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 he had so much respect for women. And when you see his portraits of women, oh my God, he makes them look like Greek goddess. And they, oh, they, 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 they came back and back. He, he did Rothschild. He did all the big names. And he was making good money. And he was also, he run the Prix de Rome on his first try. And he headed up the French Academy even before he was 40. The French Academy. Now, you know, the French Academy, in case you're listening, um, you may not know. Where is the French Academy guy? Um, uh, All right. There you go. Well, it's okay. I, I didn't mean to put my brother on the spot like that. The French Academy's in Rome. Ah. Yes. It was set up by Napoleon. No, even earlier. It was set up by Louis the Louis the Thirteenth, yeah, to to better the French art world because they want to be closer to to the to the, the the heart of 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 the Renaissance and the great classical. That was where France was going, and, and it, it makes a lot of sense. We should have a program about that. Okay. Yeah, we will. I, yeah, I'd love to do that. But anyways, though, uh, so Aang had all this old-fashioned stuffy stuff that that maybe didn't sit well with the modern romantics. But look at today, and even even as early, even as early as maybe eighteen sixty, he was starting to get a fan base of, of young people. Especially right around 1866, 1860. This is the very, the very dawn of, of Impressionism. Okay. Even earlier, uh, Manet, Manet, Manet was freaking out. And he, um, he even did a, a, a photo as, because Manet always liked, he also liked to take pictures. He had, he had a you know, camera system and all that. He was really into it. And he did the apotheosis of Aang. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he, he, he puts himself 
with Angus. Yeah, he, he, so he, so Mene, Mene was big on, on and, and I think that's really cool because if you got somebody like a guy like that who's like, you know, smoking opium and doing absinthe, hanging out in the nightclubs of Paris back in those days, I mean, you, you, you were cool. People want to be around you. Uh, I, I don't think he would like, like hearing me say that. Uh, but it was really, you know, it was like us when we were kids, you know. We wanted to be with the right people, maybe, you know, that kind of thing. So, Man A was always with the right people. You know, he, he was with um, uh, all, all the figures of the time. Monet, Renoir. Man is actually older than all those guys. And so is, uh, um, uh, I love, uh, what's the only guy? Ladies and gentlemen, we're live, and I got to tell you, uh, this is Claude Nasty, and I got to tell you, guy is giving me so much latitude, and I, I don't know what to say to him. Um, <laughs> I try to on my program. Yeah, and uh, but the thing is, is that Manet loved Ang, and, and and so Ang suddenly he was like popular with some of these hippies, and I'll, I'll call them hippies. And these guys weren't really romantics, but they were, they were romantic. They had the romantic foundation. They were new. They were doing some new stuff. They were going in, doing plein air, hanging out at Fontainebleau, uh, going into the city scenes, doing street scenes. So anything that was new, they embraced. Ooh, they were into it. Oh, oh, Monet has, I don't think anything less than 10 paintings that show train stations. Oh, the experience of, and also the experience. Technology. Yeah, of, you know, Monet has a painting, uh, 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 the Argentine upstream from uh, from the River Saint. And there's smokestacks in it. He was into this new industrial France. You know, Germany was like really belting it and England was belting it and France was trying to keep up with them. So similar to like how you would feel if you when you see cranes on a skyline. Sure, sure. It's like being stuck between Massachusetts and Connecticut, Rhode Island. I mean, Rhode Island is a is a great. You know, when I stepped off the train today in Providence, I saw this amazing city. People working and all this new stuff. There's cranes on the sky. Awesome. Yeah, and you know they don't take any crap. Rhode Islanders are busy people. And that's how they were in France at that time. Once we get our mind on it, we do we do hunker down. I think. Oh sure, sure, sure. Oh, we 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 can have a whole show about that too, but you know, not tonight. <laughs> how do the great artists, including those we've talked about today, uh, shape what you do in your work, in your very own work? How does it? How do they? How do they become part of your painting structurally and emotionally? That's loaded, huh? That's a loaded question. Is it? Yeah, a little bit. Well, it is because I'm not living in the same time. But don't they influence you somehow? Isn't there? Oh, sure. Isn't there some influence? Sure. You know, when you go back that far, though, when you go back 200, 300 years, even no matter who you're... You know, we could talk to Pierre, my my brother Pierre Massey, by the way, 
who's a classically trained uh, musician. We, we can go back that far. The 19th century was a game changer. Sure it was. Yeah. Colossal. They had to do new things. Colossal and everything. Well, colossal, I don't want to use that word. Part of me guy. Uh, with, 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 with the 19th century, we had to do new things that were never done before. How do you design a train station? You know, how do you design a train station? Because there's no such thing as a train station. So they started putting up these train stations. They look like castles. They, 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 they didn't look like a train. They, they looked like some kind of big mausoleum or some kind of big castle. Sure. Uh, but then, as a matter of fact, and it happened in France, Paris. Did you know that Paris has four major hubs for trains? And they've always had that since the inception of the train. Okay. On the French system, which is okay. today one of the most, you know, accurate in the world. All right. You know, so when they got their trains right <laughs> from early on, and they had the shed design, they used steel, and, and they used iron in the beginning. You know, the Eiffel Tower, uh, Eiffel, uh, and others were involved. You know, Eiffel's most important work were train bridges. You know, and his guards, the G-A-R-D guard, uh, they were the train stations, and they had four of them. And they went into different sections of Europe. Okay. Some of the busiest in the world, along with London. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not waving my French flag here, but this is the environment that these guys were living in. You know, Monet's paintings, for instance. And, and Aang, too. Aang was part of it. I mean, he lived from 1780 to 1867, so he saw a lot of stuff. He, he saw a lot of years. You know, he saw these young guys getting old. Sure. You know, he, and, and then... And then so he went to a party one night, and I'm going to end it with this. He went to a party one night. It was a party, and it was, actually, I don't know who it was for. I think it was, uh, it was just a, oh, it was a party for the emerging painters of the new style. They didn't call it uh, Impressionism. They didn't call it that. E every era, by the way, they don't call it that until after the fact. You know what I mean? Like okay. Gothic. Nobody called Gothic Gothic until the 18th century. And they were making fun of it, which is kind of crazy. So uh, every style has a name, but they don't really give it to it at the time. And it was called a new style. And they had this new style party, and I imagine it would be nice wine and some food, maybe maybe some nice young ladies that would come over and, and socialize. They were they had little salons where the women were very important. They they would they would they would they would actually uh, host them. Okay. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh and they they were like, you know, these women were cultured. They knew their stuff. And these men, you know, like they were red faced. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you know, they hey, you wanna know the first emancipated women? France. <laughs> and hey, that was even a hundred years in. But Ang was invited. The old fat was invited. He was 86 years old. Wow, was he? Yeah, he died about two months later. Oh, oh and by the way, I want to make sure I, I mention this, that when he died, he had a wet painting on his easel. 
Amazing. The guy never stopped. Just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Never stopped. I hope, um, uh, listening audience, that you're seeing the, 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 the gravity of this man. Because he's been forgotten in a lot of circles. But he's loved in others. Like your professor at Rhode Island College, you were telling me. Yeah. He held in pretty high esteem. One of the greatest draftsmen of all time. <clears throat> Believe so. Right. Uh, yeah, he is. He, that, that actually, um, Aang's line is perfect. And he's usually considered the greatest draftsman of all time. We didn't even talk about that. So he walks into the party and you know, he's probably having a little, you know, a little scone or something, a cup of coffee. Uh, I, I don't think he was a big, you know, he was a big drinker. Uh, he was a slight man. He wasn't, I mean, he might have been a little, you know, older and, you know, frumpier, but uh, well, always well. He always had the proper, the proper, uh, tr- you know, he was a great, a great example of unassuming. And he remained, uh, I can imagine these poor guys. Uh, 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 Matisse was there, you know, Matisse. He was there. Yeah. And Matisse was just a kid. They must have been, they must have felt that they were in the presence of, of Clint Eastwood. It would have been a crazy event for them. They, 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 they didn't know what to say to the man. And he's walking around and everybody knows he doesn't, he's not really crazy about this new style. He's not, he's not crazy about it. Uh, he, he's written in the La Pretend, which is a major newspaper. Uh, he said some, not scathing things. He was always polite. Delacroix was more of that scathing guy. Uh, he calmed down either you know, later in his life. But, um, but Ang was, Ang, you know, he never took it too far. It's what he left behind in his memoirs. Oh my God. The drawing is the probity of art. Yeah. Guy, do, do you think he has more um, sayings than any artist in history? He's well quoted. Oh, he's well quoted. <laughs> Absolutely. So he's walking, you know, he's just sitting there, standing there or whatever. And, and suddenly, I think it was Monet and a few others, they got the balls up. Can I say that? <laughs> sure. Okay. They got the balls up to walk up to him. And they said, hello, Monsieur Ng. Hello, men. Hello, hello. Keep up the good. He said, "Keep up the good work." <laughs> he had reti- he had retired from being, you know, heavy-handed with their style, and maybe 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 it was a be- something he beautifully saw. Maybe maybe he saw the um, some of the early Monet paintings, his landscapes, before he really really broke out into his big scenes. You know, and in his big system, uh, his big cycles. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and so I think he was like. Yeah, I think he saw that. So it's like it's like Dylan, you know, seeing the promise of some punk rocker or something, you know. And even though you know we don't like punk rock, punk rock, you know, maybe I don't. I, I would I, I wouldn't really get down on the kid, you know. I might say keep up the good work, and maybe I don't want to make trouble. Maybe not. But I don't think Ankin felt that he was making trouble. He's 86 years old. What's he had to worry about? <laughs> he, he had a buggy waiting outside with two horses. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, he, he was going home to a nice home. And he had, he had a legacy of life behind him. And he didn't need anybody saying, hey, you suck. 
He didn't need these young guys, Batiste and, you know, Corot, not Corot, but a few others. They could get rude. These guys, you know, they can get rude. Proust, Marcel Proust later on. Uh, young Turk had a Oh, yeah. They, 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 they probably, and they had the news, they had a dozen newspapers in Paris alone. They could find any outlet. It was like a baby uh, uh, internet. You know, far more local, but, you know, but probably far more um, uh, uh, kick you in the butt wordage. They had a way with words, these guys. They knew how to write. Art critics could ruin you. They could ruin you, guy. They don't do that today. They can't. There's too many niches. You're all set. No, you, 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 know, you might have a one-hit wonder, you know, but you might make a comeback, you know? Right. But back then, man, you could be ruined, forgotten. Easily. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Next thing you know, you, you got a farm somewhere, you know, and you got goats. I'll leave you with this with Ang, coming up on 50 Minutes. He gave us a whole lot of cool... Ooh, I'm looking for the word guy. Can you, you got it? No, I don't, Claude. I'm sorry. Uh, it's intimate. Ah. At the same time, it's cold. Some people would call him cold and, 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 and not having sensitivity. Yeah. He had a, a, a style that was. Is that the palette being. More... Very patrician and, like I said, the neoclassical style. Would that be a cooler palette? No, think? it's not the palette to do it all. It's, just, it's probably the subject matter. He considered himself a, 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 a history painter. And he thought that, that was the highest calling. You know, most of those painters in the neoclassical time, they considered the highest calling to be a history painter. And they would do paintings about the history of the Romans and the Greeks. They didn't know everything. Of course, they didn't, they didn't know about, they didn't, you know, a lot of them probably didn't even know what a, uh, an elephant looked like because they weren't in the zoos yet. And they would look up on the cathedral friezes and, what kind of animal is that? You know, God created the lion. What does a lion look like? You know, they didn't know. They didn't have any zoos. There was no such thing as a zoo. No reference. No reference points. So the neoclassists, they were actually gatherers of knowledge. And they were really getting it. They were traveling to Egypt and, and other places. And, and um, eventually it all soaked in. What was this, what's that great... Um, the encyclopedias. Diderot. Diderot wrote the encyclopedia. And, and after that, man, and then, and then Gibb, Gibbons wrote The Rise and Fall of Rome. So 18th century people were reading. And they were learning a lot of stuff about history. And, and, and the painters were really into it. So it's a cool place to be. And even Delacroix was a history painter. What advice, uh, both theoretical and practical, can you offer to anyone starting out in, in art? Well, I'll tell you, there's two sides to that. Um, don't. Forget about it. Just forget about it. Don't go into art. Just let art soak into you. We don't have a lot of time to talk no, about it. No, no, I know. I'm not going to go into it. But I, I know artists, they struggle. 
and it can ruin and they can go into deep depression and they can die young. Artists die young sometimes. A lot of them live long, though. If you're going to be an artist, just follow nature. Look at nature. Oh, it's great advice. Look at a bird. Look at a bird. That's the best advice you could ever right. get. Right. Check out the sunlight. What time? What does what does sunlight look at at four o'clock in the afternoon ah, on right. June fifteenth or, or or June what is it twenty fifth? How how does sunlight look at five compared to five o'clock in December? You know, it, it's a totally different. It's dark out in December, so you 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 always follow nature. Period. Great advice. Oh, yeah. And also look to the distance. There's a real cool one if you want to paint. And I'll give you, it's a cheapie. It's a cheapie. It's a cheapie. It's a freebie. When you look way into the distance and you're doing a landscape painting and you see a hill, make sure you got blue and lavender on your palette. Because that hill is not green anymore. There's too much atmosphere between you and that hill. Also, blue is a cooler color. helps to recede. Right. It, it recedes better. So the, the blues and the lavender, the blue distance and lavender distance. That's a perfect example of nature cueing you for your actual composition. Yeah. And some, yeah. And guy, sometimes people just don't notice that. They, Clark, this is awesome. Anything you want to add before we close out? No, thanks for having me on. Claude, thanks again for being on our show of Talk Me Some Art and other programs today exploring Aang and the great artist of yesteryear, but they're still very much uh, on our minds today. They're relevant. They're very relevant. Mm -hmm. And good day to everyone in your relevant world. Welcome to Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories. We're closing out the great month of June by bringing you our review of programming. And it is the year 2020. And we're midway through. A lovely summer for all. If you're getting out and about by walking or kayaking or uh, just plain old hanging out in your backyard, you're going to want to listen to this review as a little bit of an aid for you. Uh, so our program that we start with is Art Above the Tree Line. And myself and Claude strike out in the backcountry and venture into the White Mountains including Mount Musalak and Carrigan, among others. We leave our cities behind, and we embark on an adventure to a magical place of rocks and ledges, rivers and streams, hills and dales. There's a desire in all of us to leave our homesteads, and this program can be your portable tool for just that. Welcome to Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories. I'm Guy Massey, and I'm happy to be bringing you great programs that can help you and guide you throughout this summer of COVID. Um, are you out in your backyard? Are you in your house playing with your dog? Are you uh, changing the baby's diaper? Are you uh, just sitting around? And, or are you maybe kayaking? or uh, helping your kid uh, ride his bike for the first time. Claude and me, well, we strike out on our first program called Art Above the Tree Line, and we venture into 
the White Mountains of New Hampshire, including Mount Musilock and Carrigan, among others. We leave our cities behind and we embark on an adventure to a magical place of rocks and ledges and rivers and streams, hills and dales. There's a desire in all of us to leave our homesteads and this program can be your tool for just that. Listen to that program and we'll take you on a great tree-lined track. It's part one of two parts. The second part is coming in July. Jerry and his band will tug at your heartstrings, rock your world, and offer you a timeless lesson of love, life, music. Incorporating a rich history, whether in the studio or on the stage, the Grateful Dead broke all records at the time. Today's listener may not even remember the seminal greatness of this rock band and may not recall, well, their association with such greats as Bob Dylan, Bruce Hornsby, or Wynton Marsalis, to name a few. How do you define greatness? The dead and everyone associated with it, that's how. The live audience is just as much character as the actual players on the stage. You'll want to tune in to this interesting perspective and be enlightened. This informative podcast is lovingly and livingly dedicated to my brother Claude, friend and confidant. This was a fun one. It's called Homebound Projects. Keep it simple. Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories presented this program in mid-June. Looking to keep your sanity by doing some constructive things around the house during these trying times? Are you needing to embark on some sort of worthwhile endeavor? But because of COVID, you're stuck inside all fours like the Memphis Blues. Look no further than the den you've been wanting to redo for quite some time. Or maybe that long-in-the-tooth bedroom with some eggshell paint, a bucket, a scraper, Have at it. Be careful on that ladder, though. Time-consuming, smallish activities as simple as doing those waiting dishes or simply viewing a good flick on YouTube. Go for it. Maybe try getting outside by gardening or cleaning out the garage. This program will hopefully inspire you and guide you along. Oh, and remember that drop cloth. The Hendrix and the Martinsons continue to test one another's patience with the night-based antics in Hillbilly Hell Part 2 and new office information. The dogs bay at the moon as Mr. Martinson plies his woodcrafting harby. In other news, Guy's office is taking shape. Only after the clock comes off the wall can he put up his bookshelf. Another great program was called Dreamscape Nocturnal Storylines. Why do we dream, and why are they quite often so odd? Why do we have so many of these events during the night? Why do some of us not recall them? There's a lot of whys there. I recall many of my dreams immediately upon awaking. awaking. Example, my, uh, my right large toe was missing, and my second toe was colossal. Dreams are healthy and necessary. Someday we'll be able to record them. Listen and compare the oddness of your dreams 
with those of mine. From Bob Dylan to Louis Armstrong, Counting Crows to Ziggy Marley, welcome to a tuneful all-music episode entitled Rock On and Jazz It Up. I was lucky to have a decent home stereo system, including a Pioneer receiver to uh, legendary ADS loudspeakers. I was also fortunate to witness some of the greatest music to be laid down in history. Listen to some of my hand-picked selections. Running commentary by your host, yours truly. Our next show, later in June, was called Drumming Made Easy. Today's drum set is a dynamic piece of percussive equipment, which includes the hi-hat, cymbals, and bass drum. If you think you possess a semblance of rhythm, then get out on the throne and ride, baby, ride. Whether backing it up with a good source material or with no music at all, you can do it. It only requires a little stamina and, with time, finesse. With some practice, you will improve. Learn today. Drum today. Finally, finishing day, the Romantic Art Revolution. I bring you, along with my brother Claude, a painter and history enthusiast, to take you on a place on the canvas where the masters are just below the surface. Claude speaks about his deep respect for those in the pantheon of painting and art. If you like inspiration and you're not getting it right now, then this show is right up for alley. So again, thank you to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the great podcast directories out there that help guide you through your informative day. And until we speak again, I want to wish you all good tidings and hope that your day goes super, super well. Welcome to Talk Me Some Art. You know, we've gotten a lot of requests for repeat or continuations of some of our more popular episodes, such as The Grateful Dead and Nature. And I just want to tell you, we're going to fulfill that promise. This is Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories. I'm Guy Massey. And welcome to another review of podcasts on this summer day here in 2020. The review encompasses a good variety of programming. I hope I've made the right choices, such as Art Above the Tree Line, which we did earlier this month. Claude, Massey, and myself presented this one and we struck out to the backcountry and ventured into the White Mountains, including Mounts Musilok and Carrigan, among others. We left our cities behind and we embarked on an adventure to a magical place of rocks and ledges, rivers and streams, hills and dales. 
There's a desire in all of us to leave our homesteads, and this program can be your portable tool for just that. Listen to it today. Welcome to Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories. I'm your host, Guy Massey, and I am again presenting a review of some of our great podcasts, past and present, such as Art Above the Tree Line. Claude Massey strikes out to the backcountry and ventures into the White Mountains of New Hampshire, including Mount Musilock and Carrigan. We leave the cities behind and we embark on an adventure to a magical place of rocks and ledges, rivers and streams, hills and dales. There's a desire in all of us to leave our homesteads and this podcast can be your portable tool for just that. Listen as we take a great tree-line trek in art above the tree-line. Grateful Dead Jerry and his band will tug at your heartstrings in this entitled Grateful Dead Experiment Part 2. Today's listener may not even remember the seminal greatness of this rock band and may not recall their association with the likes of Bob Dylan, Bruce Hornsby, or Wynton Marsalis, to name a few. How do you define greatness, the dead, and everyone associated with it? The live audience is just as much a character as the actual players on stage. Tune in to this interesting perspective and be enlightened. This informative podcast is lovingly and livingly dedicated to my brother, Claude Massey, my friend and confidant. Another program called Homebound Projects Keep It Simple was first aired earlier this month on Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories. Looking to keep your sanity by doing some constructive things around the house during these trying times? Needing to embark on some sort of worthwhile endeavor, but because of COVID, you're stuck inside all fours like the Memphis Blues. Look no further than this podcast. Here's another one, Hillbilly Hell, Part 2. The Hendricks and the Martinsons continue to test one another's patience with late-night antics. Denver's dueling families have at it in this day-in-the-life story. Dogs bay at the moon as Mr. Martinson plies his woodcrafting harbey. Dreamscape, Nocturnal Storylines. You don't want to forget this one. 
Why do we dream and why are they quite often so odd? Why do we have so many of these events during the night? Why do some of us not recall them? I recall many of my dreams immediately upon awakening. Example, my right large toe was missing and my second toe was colossal. Dreams are healthy and necessary. Someday we'll be able to record them. Listen and compare the oddness of your dreams with those of mine. Rock on and jazz it up. From Bob Dylan to Louis Armstrong, Counting Crows to Ziggy Marley. Welcome to a tuneful all-music episode. I was lucky enough to have a decent home stereo system, including a Pioneer receiver to legendary ADS loudspeakers. I was also fortunate to witness some of the greatest music to be laid down in history. Listen to this program for some of my hand-picked selections with running commentary by yours truly. Hello and welcome to Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories. Welcome to this review of programming that we've presented earlier this summer. I'm Guy Massey and I'm happy to be showing you the whole kit and caboodle today. There's some great program that we started out with. Art Above the Tree Line. It was a program that presented my brother Claude and myself striking out in the back country and venturing into the White Mountains, at least in the studio. The mountains included some of the greats, Musilak and Carrigan, among others. We left our cities behind and embarked on an adventure to a magical place of rocks and ledges, rivers and streams, hills and dales. There's a desire in all of us to leave our homesteads, and this program can be your portable tool for just that. Hello and welcome to this episode of Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories. I'm Guy Massey, your host. I want to present to you a review of some of the programs we did earlier this summer. They were informative. They were pithy. Well, they were just fun, because that's what this program is chartered to do. Be informative and have a little fun at the same time. One of those shows was Grateful Dead Experiment, Part 2, where Jerry and his band tugged at your heartstrings and rocked your world, offering you a timeless lesson of love, life, and music, and incorporating a rich history, whether in the studio or on the stage. This band broke all records at the time. Today's listener may not even remember the seminal greatness of this rock band and may not recall their association with the likes of Bob Dylan, Bruce Hornsby, or Wynton Marsalis, to name a few. How does one define greatness? The dead and everyone associated with it. Claude Massey and myself struck out in the backcountry and ventured into the White Mountains of New Hampshire in this program entitled Art Above the Tree Line. 
and included great mountains of Musalak and Carrigan, among others. We left our cities behind and embarked on an adventure to a magical place of rocks and ledges, rivers and streams, hills and dales. There's a desire in all of us to leave our homesteads, and this program was your portable tool for just that.